1208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We do not go gently into the good weekend on this program. Let me start off. It's, um, it is a video that has gone viral. I hate that because it's a cliche, but actually, it's a really, really interesting, it is a funny video, but behind the funny, the humor, it, it makes a couple serious points. It's this video that a, a woman who works as a nurse in an emergency room did after she's coming off of a 12-hour shift in, in Florida. And, of course, we all know the big health story over the last several weeks and last couple months has been the flu. And and she's talking, and this is a woman who is clearly frustrated after 12 hours in an emergency room. And she sits in her car, and she takes a video of herself. It lasts about six minutes. We're going to play about three or four minutes of it to give you a a flavor of it, probably at the start of the 1 o'clock hour. But if you want to see the whole thing, and I, I really do kind of highly recommend it, if you text me the word nurse, N-U-R-S-E, nurse, which is both a verb and a noun, if you text me the word nurse to 414-799-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, I, I'll, we'll, we'll send you the link to the, this video and the surrounding story. And like I say, I'll, I'll play a portion of it later on. And then we're actually going to talk about some of the points she raises. But nurse, N-U-R-S-E to 414-799-1620, it's by far and away my favorite video of the day all right let's get started three big things of course the big story is in the last 45 minutes the the memo that we have heard so much about has been released i think for people who let me i'm, I'm not going to bury the lead here we're going to talk about it in a minute i think for people who want to believe that donald trump is being subjected to a witch hunt i guess this will fuel that in that um for people who want to believe oh this is terrible this has been released it's going to destroy public confidence in the fbi i, I guess you can say that i think actually the truth is is way in between i don't see this as the smoking gun that some people think it is nor do i think it's um something which uh, jeopardizes national intelligence. It does apparently make the FBI look a little bad. Let me summarize this. Uh, it's it's a four-page memorandum. But as I was saying yesterday, we, we need to back up to explain this. <laughs> Wiretapping people's conversations is a very, very big deal. I ran a number of wiretaps back in another life, And in order to get a wiretap, as a general rule, as a general rule, what you need to do is you need to put together evidence showing there's probable cause to believe that a crime is being committed and and also that you can't get evidence of this crime through normal investigative techniques. The way it works, again, as a general rule, an individual assistant U.S. attorney, for example, investigating a drug uh, cartel can't just simply say, hey, I'm going to get a wiretap. What you have to do is you have to go to the Department of Justice in Washington and get permission to do it. And then what you do is you submit your affidavit, you do it, you take that all to a judge, the judge reviews it and signs off on it. But there's all sorts of rules that go with it. You have to monitor the phones in a certain fashion. You have to make reports to the judge on a regular basis as to what you're finding and why there's a need for it. You can't just listen to the entirety of someone's calls. I mean, for example, if I think my producer grew, if I'm doing a wiretap because we think he's a drug dealer and we intercept a call and it's his mother, well, you can listen to that for 15 or 20 seconds, and then once you realize that they're talking about Sunday dinner, you got to shut it off. There, It is a very, very regulated thing. There is, in addition, under the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, FISA, there is a special court which deals with 
investigations of foreign crimes. You know, Americans, for example, who are dealing with foreign nationals and has to do with national security. And so the typical wiretaps would go through a regular federal judge. Um, if you're looking at, gee, do we have a situation where there's espionage or something going on? It, it's pretty much the same process, but instead you go to this special court. Well, here's the deal. The government was investigating this guy named Carter Page, who was a businessman who was associated with the Trump campaign, who had had contacts with Russia, contacts with Russia for, for years. All right, let me kind of summarize the memo. Here's what the memo says. On October 21st of 2016, um, the Department of Justice and FBI sought and received a probable cause order under um, authorizing electronic surveillance of Carter Page from this special court. All right. Page is a U.S. citizen who served as a volunteer advisor to the Trump presidential campaign. Consistent with the requirements under FISA, the application had to first be certified by the deputy or deputy director of the FBI. It then required the approval of the attorney general, deputy attorney general, or the Senate-confirmed assistant attorney general for national security. So there's this review process that I talked about. The FBI and the Department of Justice obtained one initial warrant targeting Carter Page and three renewals, like these warrants that you get aren't good forever. Um, they have a limited time, and if you want to get them renewed, you have to go back and you have to make a showing of what you're getting. So they, they actually ended up getting one and then three renewals. Um, as required by the law, a FISA order on an American citizen must be renewed by the commit the judge every 90 days, and each renewal requires a separate finding of probable cause. All right, so there, there you go, blah, 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 blah. What is the... What is the crisis? Well, in the probable cause showing that the FBI and the Department of Justice took to the court, you got to show that there's probable cause to believe the person has committed a crime and that you need to have the wiretap to investigate it. Um, all right, here's what the memo says. The memo says that uh, one of the things that they relied heavily on in order to get the warrant was a dossier compiled by Christopher Steele on behalf and Christopher Steele is the the ex spook a dossier compiled by Christopher Steele on behalf of the Democratic National Committee and the Hillary Clinton campaign formed an essential part of the probable cause showing Steele was a longtime FBI source who was paid over 160 grand by the DNC and the Clinton campaign um, via the law firm Perkins Cole and the research firm Fusion GPS to obtain derogatory information on Donald Trump's ties to Russia. So they say, all right, one of the big sources that was used was this Christopher Steele. Christopher Steele was a guy who was being paid by the Clinton campaign, by the DNC, money legally laundered through a law firm. This is what it says. Neither the initial application in October 2016 or any of the renewals disclose or reference the role of the Clinton campaign, the DNC, or any party campaign in funding Steele's efforts. All right, even though the political origins of this dossier were known to the FBI and the Department of Justice. So what they're saying is the judges, the people that reviewed this, weren't told that this was essentially paid dirt from an anti-Trump source. Uh, The memo continues. 
The initial application notes that Steele was working for a named U.S. person, but doesn't say who it was. Uh, the application does not mention Steele was ultimately working on behalf of and paid by the DNC and the Clinton campaign, or that the FBI had separately authorized payment to Steele for the same information. So they say it was also a paid informant for the FBI. Um, it continues by then going on about how Steele ended up getting tossed out. He was no longer going to be used as an FBI informant because he apparently had been giving interviews um, to like Mother Jones, for example, which is a publication, giving interviews, and that's a, a no-no. Um, it says that Steele's numerous encounters with the media violated the cardinal rule of source handling, maintaining confidentiality, and demonstrated that Steele had become a less-than-reliable source of the FBI. Before and after Steele was terminated as a source, he maintained contact with the Department of Justice through Deputy Attorney General Bruce Orr, a senior DOJ official who worked closely with people at the Department of Justice. Shortly after the election, the FBI began interviewing Orr, documenting his communications with Steele. Steele apparently admitted to Orr his findings against then-candidate Trump when Steele said he was desperate that Donald Trump not get elected and was passionate about him not being present. president. This information, the fact that you have the source that you're relying on, who number one is being paid, and number two is telling the FBI that he's desperate to stop Trump from getting, re-elected, from getting elected, was not disclosed to the, the judges. Um, during the same period, Orr's wife was employed by Fusion, that's the same company that hired Steele to assist in the cultivation of opposition research on Trump. And, and then it goes on. But the essential thing here is that you had you had an informant who was being paid by the Trump opposition, who had expressed his hatred of Donald Trump, who you had every reason to believe was unreliable, and you didn't share any of that information. Now, in retrospect, we also know that a lot of the information that was included was was bogus, but without actually looking at the whole warrant, you don't know. You don't know what else was in there. This memo says or suggests that without the stuff from the tainted informant, you wouldn't have had probable cause to get the warrant in the first place. I can't tell without looking at the overall warrant whether that was true or not. So long story short, here, here's, here's what appears happened to me. You had a, and I don't know that this is really plowing new ground, you had opposition research paid for by the DNC and Hillary Clinton um, by a sketchy character. That sketchy character funnels the information to the FBI, which then turns around and uses it to get these warrants without disclosing that the guy has a bias, without disclosing that the money was really that the, was all opposition research. The implication being the FBI and the Department of Justice tried to hoodwink and did hoodwink the judge. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's my analysis of this, and I want to hear from you. I mean, first of all, I don't know that this is the smoking gun. I can't tell without looking at the warrant itself whether or not there would have been a probable cause basis, even if you threw out this other stuff, all right? Number two, 
there's no question this makes the FBI and the Department of Justice look really, really bad. I mean, if this is in fact true and you had a tainted source like this and you knew about it and you didn't share that, well, I think at the very least that is probably an ethical violation and it does raise questions about what was going on. All right, all that being said, even if there was this internal bias and even if there were people that didn't want to see Donald Trump getting elected, I don't know that that will ultimately change the overall fact. That is, you know, whether there's collusion or not, it does, though, make the FBI look bad if this is, in fact, true. As far as these concerns about, oh, this is going to ruin national security, no, I don't see that at all. I just see it looks like, you know, the FBI, at least some people in the FBI, might have either been sloppy or had a bit of a vendetta. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess I don't see this as a game changer one way or the other. It it doesn't reflect well on the FBI that they used this guy and did not disclose it. It is the type of thing that if a prosecutor did it, if this is what really happened and judges found out about it, you could expect sanctions. There's no question about it. If that, in fact, happened, if that's all true, does it change the underlying fact as to whether uh, the people in the Trump campaign colluded with Russia? No, I, I don't see that one way or the other. Does it tend to show that there might be some people in the FBI who were either cutting corners or who wanted to nail Donald Trump? Yeah, I think there is something to that. All right, 414-799-1620. We discuss next. It's 1221. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1224, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, the memo is out now. It doesn't make the FBI look good. It doesn't make the Justice Department look good. It looks like it was sloppy and perhaps there's a degree of bias. Does it change the overall dynamic? Is this this huge game changer? Uh, I'm not sure I see it. Armando in Green Bay, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi. Um, you know, I don't think it changes anything, but I also think, I mean, yes, the Clintons paid for it in 2016, but this was started by a Republican donor for Mark Rubio. Right. So, the- this, so he may be, you, you can say he's, he was biased, but he was first, first hired by, Steele was first hired by a Republican uh, donor, a major donor. So, but, but, how, but how does that? I guess. But how does that change the dynamic if you don't if you don't disclose the fact? I mean, see, the issue is is the credibility of this source, this steel guy. You know, and and, and uh, that the issue is that his that that wasn't disclosed to the judge because if you told him that this guy was being paid to dig up dirt on candidates, it might have affected his credibility. Goes against. What Nunez and Trump are saying, which is it was a, a DNC thing, well, they may have taken it on, but it was also a Republican thing. Right, and, and just for people, still, right, and for, Armando, thanks for coming. For people who aren't clear, I mean, here, here's how this starts. Okay, this is the, this fusion group whose wife apparently worked for Fusion, uh, that her husband you know, was one of the guys with the Department of Justice involved in this. And now that screams conflict of interest to me, too. But what happened is, the, the, the way this all started, for people who might be a little bit unclear, is at the time, remember there were like 16, 17, 18, however many Republican candidates that were running. All right, um, the Free Beacon, which is a Washington Free Beacon, which is a conservative website, um, and there's a hedge fund billionaire named Paul Singer. They're the ones that first hired the firm back in 2015 to unearth damaging information about several Republican presidential candidates, including Mr. Trump. The Free Beacon 
bailed out of this in May of 2016. And then apparently Hillary Clinton's campaign and the DNC then came in and began paying Fusion in April for the the research that they had ended up doing. So, yeah, it started as a Republican. It, it ended up be, it started as a Republican, let's dig up dirt on some of the candidates, and then switched over to a Democrat, let's dig up dirt on some of the candidates. I guess I don't see that as making much difference. You, if you didn't tell the judge that, they, that this informant that you have that's providing you all this information, much of which ultimately turns out to be unreliable, wasn't, you know, a paid operative who had an agenda to try to defeat Donald Trump. If I was a prosecutor, I think that that's something, certainly I think ethically, that's something that you should have had to disclose if you knew it. Now, like I say, I don't know if you disclosed that information that that would have meant you could issue, get the warrant or not. This memo says there wouldn't have been enough there. I can't tell you that one way or the other. Roger in Greenfield. Roger, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Roger. What do you think? Um, I just think it lets it lets Trump be get out of this now because they're, they're the ones. It was intent by the Democrats to do this. Mm-hmm. I know they hash up uh, dirty laundry on other politicians all the time during elections, but I just feel this uh, just what Trump was saying all along that he. It's crooked Hillary. Well, th- I mean, th- this I, and I mean, thanks to God, th- this certainly plays into that. I mean, th- there's there's no question about it. For people who try to minimize this completely, I, I'm I'm not doing that because I mean, here you have the FBI and the Department of Justice doing one of the most significant things they can do, which is running wiretaps on American citizens. And at least, if you believe this memo, as a basis for what they were doing, part of it was relying on information that they knew either wasn't credible or at least had issues that should be disclosed to the judge. It's 1228. 1238, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I have a statement from Paul Ryan on this memo we were just talking about, which I actually think is accurate and fair. Here's what he says. The matter of concern outlined in this memo is a specific, legitimate one. Our FISA system is critical to keeping America safe from real and evolving threats. It is a unique system with broad discretion and a real impact on American civil liberties. Yeah, you're wiretapping people. That's a big deal. Unlike most judicial proceedings, the FISA system depends not on an adversarial process, but instead on the government providing a complete presentation of the facts and circumstances underlying its warrants applications. It is clear from this memo that that didn't happen in this case. And that as a consequence, an American civil liberties, that would be Carter Page, may have been violated. May have. I also have serious concerns with the practice of using political documents funded by a candidate's political opponents. Let me stop there. Does it doesn't matter whether it's it, it's a Republican trying to dig up dirt on other Republican candidates or whether it's Hillary Clinton trying to dig up dirt on other Republican candidates. The bottom line is it's opposition research. And if you're relying on opposition research, you should tell the judge that this is where this information is coming from because it might make the judge say, well, look, I, what do we have besides this guy being paid to dig up dirt? Anyhow, uh, Ryan's memo. Again, I have serious concerns about the practice of using political documents funded by a candidate's political opponents to make law enforcement and counterintelligence decisions. Mm-hmm. 
Amid all the political rancor, we must be able to work together to ensure the FISA system works as intended and that Americans' rights are properly safeguarded. I'm glad that this memo helps to provide greater transparency, and I reiterate my support for the similar release of the Minorities Memo once it is properly scrubbed of all intelligence sources and methods. It is critical that we focus on specific actions and specific actors and not use this memo to impugn the integrity of the justice system and the FBI, which continue to serve the American people with honor. And I think that's a a fair way to do it. This particular situation, it does appear that corners were cut and that there were people who were putting together the warrant applications that had information that, at least in my opinion, if this memo is true, should have shared it with the judge. And to do that, again, I, I just go back to my days as an assistant U.S. attorney. If I had put together a wiretap application using information from a source like this Christopher Steele character without disclosing what the biases were and where that was out where the money was coming from and what his interest was I I think um, I think I would have been certainly liable for ethical sanctions that, that that's all does it change anything might there have been enough basis to issue a warrant to to wiretap you know uh, the Mr. Page, any Carter Page, anyways, yeah, maybe so. I don't know. Can't tell you that without seeing the whole thing. Um, is it a smoking gun? No, it doesn't make the FBI look good, though. All right, big story number two. Yesterday, Indian Trails High School in Kenosha, it was closed. What happened was about, I don't know, 9.30 Wednesday evening, a parent somehow noticed something on Snapchat. We talked about this yesterday. This was a posting where the the, the indication was the person who was, was doing this posting was saying, okay, I've, I've had enough. I don't care who dies. I'm going to act out. You know, it's going to happen, whatever. Notifies the school district. The school district looks at it for a good portion of the night and says, you know, we, we believe, you know, we don't know what's going on here, but in an exercise of caution, we are going to cancel school. So they cancel school for the day. They have now arrested the person responsible for that. Here's the story. 17-year-old boy was arrested Thursday for allegedly posting on social media a threat of a shooting at Indian Trail High School and Academy in Kenosha. The boy was arrested by Kenosha and Milwaukee police. Detectives were interviewing another 17-year-old boy in connection with the threat Kenosha police said. I do not know, based on what I've seen so far, whether or not the 17-year-old who was arrested was a student there or a student elsewhere. Don't don't know. Um, The student... Um, apparently says that they had no intention of of doing no intention of doing anything that that's the story never intended to go and shoot up the place don't know what the explanation is for why exactly they did it all right let's tee this up 414-799-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line this happens almost all the time you know people who actually engage in school shootings or school bombings they don't notify people they don't post it so you know Almost all the time, almost all the time, 99.9999999% of the time, it's going to be a hoax or nothing's going to happen or anything like that. And that's what happened here. Nevertheless, the school officials react. And I, you know, sometimes I think they overreact, but I get it. Lots of people say better safe than sorry. How would you feel if, you know, you had school that day and something really did happen? I understand that. Now you've caught the 17-year-old. It is a felony to do this. 
He says, well, I, I just I didn't mean any harm. I never intended to shoot things up. All right. Where do you go from here? Do we charge the kid with a felony? Do we put the kid in prison for doing this? Or do we say, well, all right, people, they're young. You don't want to ruin their life. They don't understand the consequences for doing this stuff. Be careful not to overreact. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. School closes for a day. Kid says he didn't mean anything by this. How hard do you come down on him 414-799-1620 we're gonna take a break when we come back i'll tell you how i answer that question but i'm curious do we give him a break do we say well you shouldn't have done it but he really wasn't going to show up and shoot up the school um he's young we don't want to ruin his life or do we say all right you did it and now you have to suffer significant consequences 414-799-1620 how do you handle the indian trails threat it's 1244 this is jeff wagner wtmj 1247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Flu is running rampant across this country. It's a big deal. Um, we're going to be talking about it in about 20 minutes, and there's this viral video that's out there. It's this nurse in Florida who's just gotten off a 12-hour shift. I'm going to play a portion of it, but if you want to see the whole thing, and it is worth seeing, um, text me the word nurse, N-U-R-S-E, N-U-R-S-E, to 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, and I'll send you the video. Um, we're going to talk about it in about 15 or 20 minutes. All right, back in 2016, um, Wisconsin, the legislature passed and the governor signed something called Act 311, which makes it a felony to make real or false claims regarding shootings, bomb threats, or to cause any bodily harm to others. Yesterday, Indian Trails High School in Kenosha was closed down because somebody did precisely that on Snapchat one 17-year-old has been arrested. Um, actually, I was doing just a little more checking now. The new update is that the teen who's in custody is a former Kenosha resident and former Kenosha Unified student who now lives in Milwaukee. The other person, so that's the one that's been arrested. A second teen did not attend Unified schools, according to the district. He, at least as of now, hasn't been taken into custody, as far as I know, but is being investigated. All right, so here's my question. It is a felony. The, the police say, well, we, we don't think that they intended to do anything, so it was kind of a hoax. Um, all right, but school closed nevertheless. A lot of people inconvenienced, a lot of taxpayer dollars spent what do you do with the 17-year-old? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Pat in Oconomowoc. Hi, Pat. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you do with the kid? Uh, personally, I think he definitely needs to be punished. We cannot just allow these threats to happen because we don't know when they're real and when they're not real these days. And you cannot just make a threat like that and think um, you're just going to get your hand slapped and it's okay. Okay, so... Okay, so I mean, uh, so it, it is it is a crime. It's a felony, which is a big deal that would subject him to to going to prison. Would would you would you send this kid to prison for doing this? I wouldn't send him to prison, but I would definitely make him visit a jail and have some kind of uh, interaction with people who are prisoners, perhaps, um, and then also do some kind of community service or probation or something that is going to definitely threaten him so that he doesn't do it again or that some other kid doesn't say, well, nothing will happen to me. 
Okay. All right. Thanks for calling. I guess my my concern though is if you if that's how you handle it, we're going to put you on probation and we're going to give you some community service. Are, are most people who might be inclined to do this? Are, are they going to interpret that sort of punishment as being well? They they really you know didn't do anything to me. You know, on the, in the event I, I get caught. I mean, if you're going to stop this, and and we we always talk about the reasons why we we send people to prison and charge them with crimes, and one is to punish them for what they did, but another one is is this whole concept of deterrence. We don't want people doing this stuff, and so we're going to finally draw a line saying, look, if you do this, you close down these schools, you make these different types of threats, you decide to do this, pal. There's going to be long-term, maybe lifetime consequences. Is that unreasonable? Let's talk to Trisha in Watertown. Hi, Trisha. Hi, Jeff. Happy Friday. Oh, yeah. Amen to that. <laughs> okay. What do you think? I'm going to take Pat a step further. Um, I think they should be expelled, definitely, but not allowed to go into any other public or private school. Um, he would have to be homeschooled by his parents to get, get his GED or, or whatever so he can actually go out and work in the world and be under one of the um, home you know, home with the ankle bracelet. You know, that way if the parents are inconvenienced because they got to monitor him at home or teach him at home, I think that they're going to punish him a heck of a lot for that. Maybe somehow they got to start working with social media that he's banned from that. I don't, you know. Well, what would Prison, be wrong? Would you, have a, would you have an object? Now, obviously... For something like this, I, I'm not saying you put him in jail for 10 years, but right. would you have any problem with, oh, I don't know, sending him to the county, treating him as an adult, charging him with a felony, and sending him to county jail for, say, six months or nine months? That wouldn't be a problem. That wouldn't, because I think that would help scare him. And people are, the kids are going to see, you know, I don't want to go there. Yeah, that's no. Be on my record, you know. Well, right. See, Tracy, th- that's, see, that's where I come down on this, to, to answer my own question. Would you try prosecuting with a fel- as a felony? Yeah, I would. I, I would. You have to do that. You know, it, it's just like we, we say you don't fool around at airport checkpoints anymore, kidding around about having guns or bombs or whatever. You know, we, we have to get to the point where we say we are serious about this. And the kid is 17. It's not like he's 12. You know that, you know, some 17-year-old talks about shooting up the school. I think it is reasonable and fair that they know that they should not be doing that. Now, do I say you put him in jail for 20 years, prison for 20 years? No. I mean, that would be excessive. At the same time, you know what? Obviously, you expel him. There's no question about that. You know, if he's still, I don't even know if he's still in school. It says he's a former Kenosha Unified student. But, yeah, I have no problems with six months in the county jail. I mean, I I, I don't. Um nine months in the county jail. I have no problem with that at all. And then probation after that. So you can at least hold this guy. Because my problem is if you just say, okay, I want you to do some community service or something like that. I don't think that number one punishes him. And even if it punishes him, it doesn't send a message as a deterrent. As far as something on his record, yeah. I, and and is, if, does that mean it might make it more difficult for him to get into a military academy or something later on? Yeah, it will. But at the same time, you're not just talking about this kid. You are talking about the uh, other people out there who might do something similar. And, yeah, I think you charge him. Yes, I think that there's – I think that a few months in a county jail would probably be good for this guy. If his 17-year-old buddy was involved in this, it would probably be good for him. And you know what? It would send a deterrent saying, hey, if you do this type of stuff, this is what is going to happen to you. 
Yeah. Now, that's not throwing the book at him, but I think it is a reasonable to approach to something that is a huge problem and has been a problem for years and years, in part because when this happens, we talk about, oh, should the school have closed down? And everybody will always call in and say, well, you know, we of course, when, when they catch the people, you have to throw the book at them. And then they catch them and then they don't. 1253, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1256, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Tired of overpriced food at sporting events? Gene Miller explains how one stadium is taking the lead on changing that and how our local teams might want to follow suit. Check out his latest blog. Gene does a good job with his blogs on Wisconsin's Morning News, the Wisconsin's Morning Morning News page at WTMJ.com. Hey, when you're at WTMJ.com, you can also check out the mobile app page. You can download the various podcasts. I know a lot of you check out this program, and I very much appreciate it. All right, coming up in less than 10 minutes. Um, it's this viral video involving a nurse who's had it with the way people are dealing with the flu. I'll play a portion of it, but if you want to see the entire thing, and part of it are facial expressions, you can text me the word nurse, N-U-R-S-E, to 414-799-1620. Also, coming up after that, it is time for me to talk some of you down off the ledge. The headline screams, Rogers wants to follow in Brady's footsteps, Rogers says he might leave the Packers. All right, we're going to talk about that as well. So don't, 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 don't panic. Nothing to worry about. All right, big story number three. I want to just cover it quickly. Yesterday, Mike Boren, who's a Waukesha County Circuit Judge, um, kind of put to rest uh, this case that has been going on for the last several years, the whole Slenderman slang. He sentenced Morgan Geyser, who is now 15, who was actually, I think, the big mover and shaker. He sentenced her to 40 years, committed her to 40 years in a, a psychiatric hospital after finding that she's delusional um, and, and suffers these various things. Um, 40 years, apparently, she still, according to at least some psychiatrist, still hears voices and things like that. Her lawyers can petition every six months to have her released if they can argue that she was that she is cured at least at this point in time i think judge boren got it absolutely right a lengthy sentence if it turns out that somehow she is miraculously cured five years from now 10 years from now 15 years from now you can do it but if she's not you gotta protect society and boren did it all right it's the viral video that has everybody talking we'll discuss it next it's 1258 jeff wagner 109, this is Jeff Wagner. So, Eric, have you been able to, you've got three kids, have you been able to avoid either you getting sick or any of the kids getting sick? With Knock on wood, yes. So we, far. We, so far, all of us have been healthy. I, I I have, knock on wood, not gotten it either, but I, I know I can't tell you how many people I, uh, last night, I was supposed to go to dinner with a couple, my wife's out of town, so I was supposed to go to dinner with a couple friends of mine, and we ended up canceling because two of the four of us um, have, I, I don't know if they've got the flu, but they've got flu-like symptoms sure, and all. Sure. You know, it, it's they're like, well, I feel really achy, and my gut gut's not great, and I'm, you know, I, I kind of ache all over it. Which all I hear is like, okay, <laughs> let's, let's let's just right, exactly. Let's <laughs> let's reschedule. It's not like we can't see anything, but I can't tell you how many people I know mm-hmm. that um, are, are sick, and how this is sort of decimating some businesses where you know people are. You know, calling in sick, just right. right and left. And not even just the adults. The the kids have really been hit hard with this. A lot of times the kids might get it, and then it's worse for us, you know, when you get it from, right. from the kid. But this year, it is leveling little ones. It is. Which brings me to how I want to lead off this hour. Can you, can you, you imagine 
being a nurse in an emergency room, you know, dealing with all the stuff that you normally deal with in the emergency rooms and then add fluid. For example, remember a week or two ago, there was the big controversy where um, the Aurora Sinai downtown, you had one of these guys that they call them jumpers, the hospital jumpers, one of the homeless guys, mental health problems, who likes to go in and hang out in emergency rooms and check himself in. Um, and then remember what happened is they, they wanted the guy to leave. He'd been discharged. He wouldn't leave. And so they kind of wheel him out and leave him on the street. And then you take these pictures and everybody's like outraged about all this. But I mean, it's this ongoing problem. We had call after call after call from emergency room and medical professionals saying this is a huge problem. You know, these folks are well known to people. They come in and it's one thing it's one thing if it's a dead emergency room but right now emergency rooms aren't dead right now you've got so much stuff going on there's so many people in addition to the folks who present with the normal type of problems you've got people coming in with this flu one after another after another to the point that in some hospitals they don't have room for them they got people in beds in the hallways and things like that so i was thinking about this story when i i that what happened here when I saw this story, um, there's the, the woman is she's uh, her name is Catherine Smith Lockler, and she she's an emergency room nurse in South Florida. She had just worked a 12 hour shift at the hospital, and you could tell she had had it up to here. <laughs> you could just tell she had it up to here. As she was walking out, and again, if you text me the word nurse, N-U-R-S-E, to 414-799-1620, I'll send you a link to this video. But she's just, she's exhausted, she's frustrated, and she decides, she is sitting in her car, I think it is in the hospital parking lot, after finishing a 12-hour shift, and she starts to vent about dealing with emergency room patients with regard to the flu. Now, the whole video is about six minutes long. I'm going to play about three and a half minutes of this. So here, again, this is this woman. She's a nurse. She's just walked out after a 12-hour shift. Good morning, everybody. This is Kat Lockler. Just got off of a 12-hour night shift. Very tired, but I can act perky for this video for just a few minutes. So we are in the middle of something called flu season. I'm sure you all are very aware of what that is. But it is a really terrible flu season. And if you're not aware of how the flu is spread, the only way you can get it is through your eyes, your nose, or your mouth. That means you touch something and you rub your eye, you could get the flu. Let's see, if someone coughs near you and then you inhale it through your nose or through your mouth, you could get the flu. It is really bad. It's killed some people. It has put many people in the hospital, and it's spreading like wildfire. I don't know if I mentioned already, but it's been a long night shift. Yeah, like one in every eight people is testing positive for this flu. So here are some thoughts, if you don't mind me sharing, okay? These are true life experiences. I'll change the names and the topic of it, so to protect the not-so-innocent. If you have a team member from your softball team who is sick or injured, you do not bring the entire softball team in to check on them. Because guess what? You just got maybe 15 new vectors or carriers of the flu by them all walking in, which I watched them each walk in last night, see their friend, and not touch the hand sanitizer, not once. 
And there is the flu. It is a cesspool of flu, a cesspool of funky flu at the ER right now. So please don't bring your team in. Please don't bring your healthy children, especially your newborn babies, into the emergency room. And if you don't have a what I call a true emergency, this would not be the time to come to the emergency room. So right now we have up to 25 to 30 patients sitting for hours in the emergency room waiting room. Some of them are not true emergencies, but they're waiting along with the flu right next to them. So guess what? Five flus came in, 15 flus walk out. It's great. And guess what? Half of them don't realize they have the flu yet. They'll be back. So the flu, we have a medication called Tamiflu, and it's pretty helpful to shrink the length of the life of the flu. So flu can last from seven to 10 days, maybe a little bit longer. So Tamiflu does not cure you like an antibiotic, but it will shrink the length of time that you have the flu. So if you were supposed to have it for 10 days, you might have it for six days. Well, here are some ideas to how to treat the flu at home. Wash your stinking hands so you don't get all your baby sick. Treat your fever with Tylenol or Motrin. If you are an adult, you can take more than 200 milligrams of Motrin. You can actually take four to 600. And if you're a big dude in pain, you can take maybe 800. Just depends on your weight. But a regular sized adult, four to 600 is a perfectly appropriate dose of ibuprofen. Tylenol, please don't come in and say, I have a fever and I had one Tylenol and didn't do nothing. Well, of course it didn't. You need to take 650 to maybe even a gram, which is 1,000 milligrams of Tylenol, sometimes if you're a big person, to kill that fever, okay? You need to drink some Gatorade, okay, or some water or some Powerade. I don't care. Hydrate yourself. Get the fever down. Wash your stinking hands. And cover your nose. Watch this. I'm going to teach y'all a magic trick. It's amazing. <gasps> chill. Let me repeat it in slow motion. <gasps> My sleeve got the germs. My hands didn't. It's amazing to watch how many people come through the emergency room, sneeze in their hand, and I watch. No one grabs the hand sanitizer that's only every three feet in the ER. So, this is mighty tricky. It covers your nose and your mouth at the same time. And you don't have to race to find where's the hand sanitizer, okay? Your sleeve needs to be washed at some point, but at least you've blocked off that sneeze, okay? Most nurses in the emergency room also are only getting five seconds to eat. 12-hour shifts, mind you, on our feet. My toes are swollen, but on our feet, getting yelled at. And I want you to know, I get yelled at and cussed at. I'm a good, friendly person. I get cussed at, y'all. Okay? But I've been getting cussed at recently because people are so mad about their weight. Well, there's... One doctor, and there's 20 patients in the waiting room, 16 patients in the back, somebody coming in on an ambulance, and we do this based on triage. If you've been waiting for four hours and you're just ready to get out of here, but all of a sudden there's somebody coming in who's bleeding to death, or they're not breathing, you're going to have to wait a little longer, okay?
If you're here with an ingrown toenail or I just got these headaches, you're not going to die. We check you out when you come in the door. Okay. It's, all right. It, it goes on. It, it goes on. But she, she can tell she's getting worked up. That that stuff about the sneeze thing, what she's doing is is she's showing that if you're going to sneeze, and she's saying what you should do is you sneeze into your, your arm. You might have to wash your shirt or whatever, but if you just sneeze into the air, you are spreading the, the flu. And then she's giving us tips like, okay, if you've got the flu, don't bring your whole softball team in because they're all going to walk out with the flu. All right, here's what I want to talk about with this. And I, I have to confess up front, I love this. I, I just absolutely love this. Some people are giving this woman a, a bunch of, uh, stuff though, because they're saying she's being rude, she's being insensitive, she's supposed to be this nurse. I think she's calling them like she sees it. All right, anything wrong with what this woman is talking about in the video? She's clearly frustrated. She's got people that are um, coming in. She's trying to say, look, you're doing stupid things. That's what's going to spread this flu. All right, any beef with this nurse? Was, was this being disrespectful was this being rude to the people that are sick she's just saying look i'm overwhelmed 414-799-1620 that is the accident mortgage talk and text line i have to tell you we don't give right stuff awards anymore in the show but if we did i love what this nurse is saying common sense stuff that i'm sure people in emergency rooms and hospitals and in dock in the box medical clinics and things have been seeing and they just haven't had the opportunity to say. 414-799-1620. All right, was this rude to people, or was this just good, solid advice, and you understand where she's coming from? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 120. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Look, this is it. If you've got the flu, you know, wash your stinking hands before you touch your kids, because they're going to get the flu. 120, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 123, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Here's a text. The CDC should hire her as a spokesperson. People need to hear and see this stuff. They do. And they need to hear it explained in those sort of terms, you know? Hey, first of all, unless you're really, really sick, don't go into the emergency room, especially this time of, of year, because <laughs> chances are if you go into the emergency room, you got a headache, you go in, you're going to be around all these people who have the flu, and there's a good chance that you're going to walk out, and you'll be back three days later a lot sicker. I love it. Linda in Milwaukee. Linda, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Linda. Um, number one, I'm a nurse. Mm-hmm. I do not work in an emergency room, but I do work in a hospital. And uh, some of it I can see her frustration at the end of a 12-hour shift. Sure. Most of it, she's right on the money. <laughs> um, you know, an emergency room is not a primary care. It is not an urgent care. It is for emergencies. Um, she may have left out about the people who are there and their family members who... Besides everything else, are asking for juice, asking for crackers, <laughs> right. you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm not a waitress. I'm a nurse. Right. <laughs> you know. Oh, and here's another ambulance is pulled up with a gunshot victim. <laughs> You're sure. Yeah. Right. And we see a lot of those. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and when some of these patients do get admitted, whether it's to the floor or to an intensive care, that type of behavior continues on the floor. I want a pillow. I want a warm blanket. Mm -hmm. Why can't I have any juice? My response is, my first responsibility is your loved one. If I have time, 
I'll deal right. with you. But if not, there's a vending machine. Maybe you should go home and get a sweater. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess I th- thanks for calling. It's, and look, I, I understand having spent more time than I wanted to in hospitals over the last couple of years. Um, I, I mean, I understand when, when people don't feel well, you know, you, you want that type of stuff. And there's always that kind of balancing act. Why isn't the nurse coming and doing this right away? So I, I kind of get that balancing act. But but the truth of the matter is, there, there's especially when it comes to dealing with the flu, there's a lot of things. It, to me, it's a lot of common sense type of stuff that people just don't think through. And I can imagine the frustration that these medical professionals have. You're working this 12-hour shift. It's one thing after another. And you got people who are coming in sick and then people who are bringing the people who are in sick and they're hanging out there. And, and a lot of times, well, you'd just be, just be better off staying away in the first place unless you really need to be there. Um, here's one of our texts. Oh, my gosh, I love, love, love that nurse lady. It's sad that it seems like common sense, yet still it needs to be said out loud. Um, yeah. Um, yes, exactly. Let's see. Uh, Chuck says, Jeff, I'm sure I just got over the flu. I stayed away from as many people as possible and used common sense. The nurse, <laughs> the nurse, used the common sense the nurse had, and she had every right to vent. She is an emergency, an emergency room. It, it's not a clinic. Let's see. Bubba in West Bend says she's 100% correct. She told it like it is. The people that complain should get a remake of her video as told by Larry the Cable Guy. Um, you can't fix stupid. Well, there is that There is that element. Larry writes, uh, God bless this lady. Uh, also, she looks amazing after an overnight shift. I can't imagine having a job like that. She's a great representative of all nurses. Um, yeah, I, I think that's exactly, that's exactly the point. You know, sometimes Sometimes, you know, we, um, you know, sometimes I think we, we forget those type of things. But the other reason I want to talk about this is, look, I understand how devastating the flu has been. And knock on wood, I haven't gotten it yet either. But it, a lot of the stuff that she's saying is this common sense sort of thing. You know, it, you know, you got to cover your mouth when you sneeze, you know, and there's ways that you can do this. And if, again, if Gru on your softball team is sick with the flu, maybe you don't want to go in and, and visit him in the emergency room or in the hospital because there's a decent chance that you might walk away with the flu. Um, I absolutely love this woman. Just absolutely do. And I agree. CDC could hire her. She could be their Larry the Cable guy, you know, just saying, look, I mean, here's the thing. Wash your stinking hands. Love it. If you want to see the whole video, um, again, text me the word nurse and URSE to 414-799-1620. All right, coming up next, say it isn't so. Could Aaron Rodgers really be leaving? We'll break it down. It's 127. This is Jeff Wagner. 137, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 16 degrees outside. Looks like we're going to get some snow this weekend. And they keep adjusting the forecast, and it looks like um, most of our listening area is going to get less, I think, than they thought it might get. So that's always good news. He's back. Jabari Parker is set to make his return from injury tonight as the Bucks play host to the New York Knicks. Don't miss a moment of the action with Ted and Dennis tonight, starting at 640 on your home for the Bucks. WTMJ. All right, if you're a Milwaukee County resident, you're not doing anything next Tuesday, February 6th at 6 p.m. at the Mitchell Park Domes. There is a public meeting about parking meters in the parks. Um, of course, Chris Abley wants to hire. This is, I will tell you, the county board, Milwaukee County does a lot of insane stuff. This this is right up there. We've been talking about this for the last week or so. Abley floated the idea originally of if he wanted to put parking meters at the lakefront, 
Um, so the, if you wanted to go down there and enjoy the lakefront for a day in the summer with your family, you'd have to end up feeding the meters. That has now morphed. Abley's idea is to generate $16 million in parking revenue. Now, hear me out if you haven't been following this. By putting parking meters or making you pay to park all over the county, identifying popular parks where people go, like parks where there's beer gardens. And I've, I've made this point before. I, I'm not that far from Esterbrook Park, or as I'm talking right now. Up until that beer garden that they put in Esterbrook Park, Nobody went to Esterbrook Park, or almost nobody went to Esterbrook Park. They put in this world-class beer garden. It really is a world-class beer garden, and now the place is packed. It's packed on a nightly basis in the summer. Weekends, people start coming there at 11 o'clock in the morning. They're there till you know, it closes once it gets dark. And, of course, the operators, they, you know, they sell beer and bratwurst and things like that, and they kick back a portion of what they sell, you know, in their profits. They kick back a portion to the county. So you make money. You take what was this underperforming, falling-down thing. Now you've got this great beer garden. And, and what Chris Abley wants to do is put parking meters in those lots. What you do that, and you are, my prediction is, is you're going to cut traffic to the, you're going to cut patronage to these places probably by at least a quarter. That's my off the top of the show, off the top of my head kind of guess. What's even worse, what's even more despicable, yes, I use that word, is the only people that are really going to make money is whatever corporate donor runs, the, whatever um, political donor ends up getting the contract to run the parking meter concession. Because Milwaukee County is not going to do it. The plan is. Let's hire some outfit that will take all the parking revenue and get the tickets for the revenue from tickets, and then we'll pay a portion of that back to Milwaukee County. Now, Milwaukee County wants to get $1.6 million, so do the math. That means... That means they're planning on raising $16 million in parking revenue. Do the math. That means, okay, $16 million in parking revenue, $1.6 million goes back to the county. That means who's the real benefit? Who's going to make the other $14.4 million? Well, it's going to be whoever gets the contract to run the parking meters. So it's not even going to help the county. But this is what Abley has come up with. And I will tell you, I am being told that this is this is a done deal, that there are people who view this one way or the other as a done deal. And just like Abley wanted a $60 wheel tax, and then everybody took a victory lap by saying, we're only giving you a $30 wheel tax, my understanding is that this is, in some cases, already being viewed as a done deal, that parking meters are going to go in. Might not go in everywhere, but they are going to go in. So in any event... Um, Parking meters, there is, there's another public meeting. And again, people have been showing up at these public meetings and essentially saying no, 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 no. Um, public meeting at the Mitchell Parks Dome Annex on Tuesday, February 6th. And this is one of these situations where I think that um, it's uniting all sorts of people. It's uniting like the people in the parks with uh, fiscally responsible people in Milwaukee County and then other people who just think that this is a ridiculous way to do business. But it is, of course, the Abley approach. And again, of, of all the outrageous stuff, it's bad public policy. It will kill, I think, some of the real popular things that are going on in the parks. It is regressive in that it hurts 
um, low-income people by requiring you to pay to use some of our great park facilities, which are grossly underused to begin with. It's all that. But the real beneficiary of this is going to be whatever, again, parking company who will make big donations to county supervisors and perhaps to the county executive to get the contract that's going to make them rich while everybody else gets shafted. You have another opportunity to weigh in on this. It's Tuesday, February 6th at the Mitchell Parks Domes Annex. All right, coming up next, Aaron Rodgers speaks and people get ready to jump off a bridge. Stick around. It's 143. 145, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, Gru, did you see this, this new memo that just came out from the manager of engineering, guy in charge of the nice guy in charge of the building? Here's the thing. The restrooms. Now, we are not long on, on restrooms around here. There's really, for a building the size, we don't have a lot of restrooms. And I've been here for 20 years. There's also a couple, like, kind of secret ones that you don't necessarily know about, you know, that most people wouldn't know about. But there's, like, really two major sets of restrooms here, you know. The restrooms close to the TV newsroom off the hall between the stairwells, okay, that would be one of the, the two sets of major restrooms, um, are scheduled to be painted starting Wednesday, February 7th. It may take a few days due to the wallpaper removal and not knowing how much repair will have to be done to the walls once the paper is removed. Those restaurants, restrooms will be out of service where the work is being done. Let me know if there are any questions. Yeah, okay, what's the obvious question? All right, where are people supposed to go? Now, again, I've been in this building for 20 years, so there's a couple secret restrooms that people don't know about, including, like, there's one in this guy's office in the front. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. So, you know, people are going to have to line up there. But it's like, how, how, can it, how can it take, also, how can it take days to paint restrooms, I, I guess? We only remove the wallpaper, and then we have to fix the walls and stuff. But if it takes you longer when you run off in the middle of the show next week, I, I'll know that, you know, there's, there's been that particular issue. All right, I am a huge Aaron Rodgers fan. I, I am. And and Aaron Rodgers, I, I think I think there's a couple things. First of all, he has reached a point in his career where I, I don't think he cares about being politically correct or, or worried about the implications. I think you answer him a you ask him a question and he's at the point in his career where he doesn't think what should I say? He says he just you ask him a question and he gives you an honest answer. You know, he doesn't think through the implication. And that, that's great. I mean, he just, you ask him what he thinks, you know, he'll just tell you that. I mean, I, I think that that's number one. Number two, I think he, I think he enjoys pimping people. I mean, I, I think he gets a kick out of, I think he, he says this stuff because it's brutally honest. And I think he also gets kind of a kick out of knowing that some of the stuff he says is going to get a response. It's going to be a headline. And I, I think that's great. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. I think it's great that you get to a point in your life or your career or whatever that, you know, you just you <laughs> there's a song that, that's um you know, um money, fame, compliments. And it's kinda like you know you've you, you know you've reached the pinnacle of success when you don't need any of it. You got all the money you need, don't need any more fame, don't need compliments. It's kind of freeing. Well here's the story. So Aaron Rodgers is the Super Bowl and he's out there and they're giving all sorts of questions. He sits down in an interview with the Associated Press and all right, here's the headline the Associated Press has. Aaron Rodgers admits he may leave Green Bay to play as long as Tom Brady. All right, that that's a headline, Aaron Rodgers admits he may leave Green Bay to play as long as Tom Brady. All right, so then there's all these hysterical headlines, Aaron Rodgers wants out of Green Bay. 
All right, here's the story, actually. Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers wants to take the same path as Tom Brady, still flinging footballs and chasing championships at age 40. He knows he might have to leave Green Bay to do that. The 34-year-old acknowledged Thursday in an interview with the Associated Press that he may have to play for another team like Brett Favre did at the end of his Hall of Fame career. Rodgers says he didn't think that Favre ever fathomed leaving Green Bay before the Packers dealt him in 28. 2008 to the Jets to make room for Rodgers. Favre finished his career in Minnesota. I think you have to be humble enough to realize if it could happen to Brett, it could happen to you, Rodgers said. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm I'm having trouble getting from that to the headline, Aaron Rodgers admits he may leave Green Bay to play as long as Tom Brady. What I hear Rodgers saying, I don't hear any dissatisfaction with with Green Bay. I hear Rodgers saying, gee, I mean, this happened to Brett Favre. Brett Favre wanted to continue playing, and the team wanted to make a move. In this case, they, they thought it was my time. I'm 34 years old. Maybe there's some point in time where the Packers are going to essentially think that I need to move on. So maybe if I want to play another six or seven years, that's what's going to happen to me. But I've been looking at all this commentary out there and people, oh, my gosh, Aaron Rodgers is dissatisfied with Green Bay and he might want to leave. And and his contract is up in two years if they don't, you know, re-sign him to something. I don't get that satisfaction at all. I just say somebody asked him, hey. You know, you want to play to 40? Is it possible you might have to be somewhere else? And he's saying, well, it happened to Brett Favre. I guess it could happen to me. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess as long as as Rodgers is performing at, at anything close to the level that he is performing at when he's healthy, I I will be stunned, absolutely stunned, if he does not retire as a Green Bay Packer. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You think Favre, you think Favre, you think Rogers is going anywhere? And I guess, I guess it, it could happen. My guess, if you, if I were a betting guy, and by the way, I am a betting guy, my guess is that, you know, in the next year or so, the Packers make Aaron Rodgers the highest played player in, player in football again. I don't think he's going, I don't think he's going anywhere. 414-799-1620. And moreover, I hope he doesn't. Because one of one of the tough things, and I, I've seen a lot of athletes over my time, one of the tough things is having th- these real greats, the greats who just have to hang on that, that extra year. I grew up watching Johnny Unitas, who some people think might have been the greatest quarterback ever, certainly in the caliber of an Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, he played most of his career for the Baltimore Colts, and it was time for him to move on. He had injuries, and he ended up finishing his career as a quarterback for the San Diego Chargers. It was tough to watch. Joe Namath um, finished his career as a quarterback for the Los Angeles Rams, I believe. Willie Mays, oh, my gosh, you know, Willie Mays, you know, finished his career, you know, playing outfield in New York, and he, he could he could barely, he couldn't even throw the ball overhand, 414-799-1620. But I don't, I, I hear Rogers just saying, hey, I, I want to keep playing. I don't hear any dissatisfaction at all, and my guess is he, my guess is he finishes his career where he started his career. Jim in Milwaukee. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my sure. call. You know, players have little, or athletes have little or no control what the media says in their headlines or in their articles. And that's exactly why they're very guarded in what they say and they very deliberate in what they say. 
And, you know, I agree with you. Uh, Aaron Rodgers just said that if in the twilight of my career the Packers want to go in another direction with a younger quarterback, I want to continue to play, and I may play elsewhere. Yeah, right, right. And and I mean, and then tying it back in. Look, you know, Brett Favre was the quintessential Packer. Look what happened to him. The Packers were ready to move on before he was ready to retire. And if it happened to Brett Favre, it could happen to me. Um, and, and that that's not, gee, I want out, or that's not, I'm leaving in a year or so. That's just, hey, this is kind of the reality. I want to play till I'm forty, and they might not want me to play till I'm forty. Yeah, and it's just unfortunate that you have these type of headlines reconstrued into their narrative and just to sell, uh, sell newspapers or, you know, get interest in articles. Right. Well, thank, well, and again, and I, I think, and I, I do also think that, you know, Rogers, like I was saying earlier, has reached the point in his career where he's just painfully honest. And, but sometimes I think he's playing with people too, you know, and because he knows that it's going to get this reaction or that reaction. But I, I don't, I mean, I mean, I was just looking at all these comments. Oh, does this mean there's a rift between Rodgers and the Packers? I, I'm not seeing this as that at all. It's just, hey, I don't know. I want to play seven or eight, six or seven more years, and they might not want me. Bob in Menominee Falls. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. I, okay, is is this Aaron Rodgers wants out? <laughs> well, I don't think he wants out. I, my perspective is he might be putting a bug in the Packers' ear saying, I've got two years left on my contract. Uh, I've got one Super Bowl. Maybe it's time that you people, you know, the Packers organization, uh, do right. something a little bit better as far as getting some, maybe some better players, uh, that I have a chance to win another Super Bowl or maybe a couple of yeah. Super Bowls. Otherwise, maybe after two years, uh, I'll go someplace else and maybe have a better chance right. with another team of winning, uh, some more Super Bowls. And as, as far as I'm concerned, if I was Rodgers, I don't think I'd probably uh, sign an extension until I would see the Packers doing something to really get this team back to, you know, higher standards. Huh. Well, interesting. Thanks. I mean, I don't know. If, if I were Rodgers, I guess to me the the deciding thing as to whether I would sign an extension or not is – how much money are they going to pay me? <laughs> you know, and and my guess is, I mean, you you saw what Aaron Rodgers meant to this team last year, and my guess is, you know, the the, the full expectation. I think that they're going to get a deal done sometime in the relatively near future. I wouldn't be surprised if it's this off season. You know, I mean, I think they're going to end up backing up the Brinks truck, and to me, that's the that's kind of the big thing. It's like, okay, how how much are you going to pay? And I, I don't, and I, I think I understand what you're saying, Aaron Rodgers. I suspect. I suspect he has all the money that he could spend in a particular lifetime, and, and so money isn't the only thing. But at the same time, I don't think he's really looking to go somewhere, and I, I suspect that the Packers are they're a smart organization, and you saw what he means to the team. My guess is that they're going to pay him um, what he's worth. Robert in Thienesville. Robert, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, I really think that Rodgers is being serious, and they need to listen to him. Give him better coaches, give him more control, give him better players, and you just watch him. He is a football player. Watch his body language. Watch him get frustrated at players, at veterans, at rookies. He loves football, and he is frustrated with this team. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for call. Okay, so I, I mean, I, see, I think that sometimes I think we're reading too much into to, to this. Now, that might very well be the case. And clearly, I mean, I think if I'm Aaron Rodgers, 
you have a legitimate beef over the last couple of years saying to the Packers and to Ted Thompson, you know, why, why didn't you surround me with better players? Because I will tell you this. It would be an absolute sin if a player like Aaron Rodgers um, retired with only one Super Bowl appearance and only one Super Bowl win. He's too good a player to have that happen. That's why I think a lot of people in the Packers organization recognize, not just for Aaron Rodgers' perspective, but for the perspective of the fans and the teams, the the future is now. Because guys like Aaron Rodgers come along, well, once, you know, every... 20 years and you know Packers have had two of those quarterbacks and you know they've only won two Super Bowls I don't diminish that but they've only won two Super Bowls they could be a dynasty like New England but unfortunately they're not in the event don't jump don't jump don't jump all right when we come back a lot of stuff in the two o'clock hour of the program uh Bayshore Shopping Center is there a right to go topless huh stick around it's 157 209, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's Friday, coming up about 2.34. We've got Pop Culture Corner. It is, well, it's a generally a Super Bowl-related one today, but not exactly from the world of sports. It'll be fun to stick around. What you just heard during Melissa's newscast is one of the reasons why I love Scott Walker. Okay, the, the um, the, of course, the, the breaking federal story is this, the release of this FISA memo. As I said at the beginning of the show, and I'm sure I irritate a lot of people, I, I think... Do I see this as this huge smoking gun? No, I don't. Does it indicate that there's a couple people in the FBI who, um, or the Department of Justice who, in my opinion, if this is true, were a little bit short of where they should be on ethical standards? Yes, but does it change anything? I, I'm not convinced of that at all. So Scott Walker is out. So, they, of course, you understand the reporters, they're always looking for a story. So, Governor, what do you think about this? I don't know if you heard that clip. He he's had none of this. He's not, I you know I've, I've I've got my own agenda. This is what I am talking about, and I just I I'm not paying any attention to the goings on in Washington. This, which is absolutely the perfect response. Nothing good comes from Governor Walker making the decision to get embroiled in the middle of this. Because you know whatever he was talking about, whatever economic agenda he was trying to push, if he decided to wade into this particular thing, that would be the headline. Walker says it's a nothing burger. Walker says that Trump is unfairly accused. He's perfectly right to stay away from it, to stay out of it. Sometimes you have to do that, which is why the decision by Tom Barrett to get involved in this arrest of the Bucks player continues to be more and more bizarre. Now, of course, everybody knows the facts. What happened? The, the Bucks, um, Sterling Brown, who's one of their rookies, gets arrested two o'clock in the morning last Friday morning a week ago, um, and it gets weird a- after that. And yesterday. John McCure had an interview with the president of the Milwaukee Police Association. Here's what it appears happened, as near as we can figure this out. Two o'clock in the morning on on 27th and National, an area known for, well, we had some guests on our WTMJ conversations today, and you know they were talking about this, this is an area that's known for drug dealing and known for prostitution. Uh, Sterling Brown, who is a Bucks player, with a female parked across two disabled parking spaces outside the 24-hour Walgreens on 27th and National, and Brown is apparently in that store making a purchase. Maybe he was buying diapers, but 
you know, I who, who knows? So the police see this car parked across the, the two disabled parking spaces. They're in the process of giving it a ticket. I am told there was some interaction with the woman as well, but I haven't seen the police reports. And he comes out, and something happens. Uh, police are saying that at some point in time, Brown puts his hands on police officers to the point that he has to be tased. He's taken into custody. He's arrested. Um, he's taken to the county jail where he is um separated from the normal prison population and he's released sooner than a normal person would be but th- that's it and, and so now there's all these questions the all right w- what's going to ultimately happen i i don't know no charges were issued the question becomes why was it ed flynn of course is making statements today like he always does he's you know got his high he's on his high horse and he said well i i you know we, you know, we reviewed this and decided that there was nothing to, to see here, essentially. And that's it's unusual. It's not consistent with protocol. You know, maybe it's justified, maybe it's not. I think it'll be interesting to see the body cam reports and hear what the officers had to say in order to, to justify that type of thing. But the weird thing about this is, is unlike Scott Walker, when asked the question about these FISA memos, and Walker's smart enough to say, I'm not going to get involved in this, Barrett dug himself a hole that he continues to be unable to dig out of. Apparently what happened is the following morning, Friday morning, he gets into the office, he hears about this. There's a Bucks player that's been arrested. And then for reasons that pass understanding, all right, he, first he, he calls the police, and his explanation is, hey, I, I wanted to know. I knew I was going to be asked questions about this. I wanted to know what was going on. That is perfectly reasonable to me. Makes sense. Get it. Understand you're going to be asked questions about that. Apparently, during that conversation, there's some disclosure of discussion about the body camera that, that's there. Um, the police apparently offer to show it to him, and he ultimately says no. All right. So, but he calls the cops. I get that. He also calls the president of the Milwaukee Bucks, which I think it's completely inappropriate. I don't think anybody thinks that that is an appropriate thing to do. I understand you want to talk to the cops because you want to find out if you're asked questions about that, what's going on. Why would you call the Milwaukee Bucks about, you know, what's going on with one of their players unless your intention is to pass on information that you've received from the police? I, I And Barrett's not saying what they, they talked about. He's not. But, I mean, my question is, you know, what, what? which way did the information flow? Why would you call the Milwaukee Bucks to find out that information? And and then, of course, you know, uh, Mayor Barrett's been on our air, and we've asked him, or John McCurry asked him in particular, well, what did, you know, what did the police tell you? Well, humming and humming and he's, he's you know, not saying anything about that. He, he's in the, I don't know if he used his influence to get preferential treatment. I don't know if the guy should have been charged. I don't know if this is a decision where Ed Flynn or other members of the command staff used special influence or whether this was a situation where, you know, force shouldn't have been used. Don't know. But why Barrett put himself in the middle of this is just absolutely beyond me. And it all starts with him making the decision to reach out to the owners of or the president of the Bucks and have a discussion about one of their players who've been arrested. And I think that's what's giving a lot of people to just just pause that that's that's not a normal sort of thing that you would do. Calling the cops, absolutely find out what's going on with this because you're going to be asked media questions. But when you pick up the phone and then have that conversation and then talk about it with him later on after a meeting, that's the thing that I think raises a lot of eyebrows. Where is this ultimately going? I, I don't know. Um, but it was 
you know, together with the stories about, you know, the lead poisoning and the lead, the water and the fact that apparently there was a gag order preventing people at the health department from talking to the mayor. It's not been a good week for the mayor at all. When we come back, hey, if I'm curious because I don't know how many people watched it. I did not see it. I have read the description of this. Um, NBC airs this show called Law and Order SVU. Well, the episode that they put on Wednesday is generating a huge response, much of it not positive. I'll tell you about it. If you saw it, I, I want to kind of ask you how you feel about it as well. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. S, uh, Law and Order, SVU, gets firmly embraced in the world of politics and a lot of people think they went way 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 did i say way too far stick around it's 217 this is jeff wagner wtmj Two twenty. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, fallout from a Bucks player who was tased and arrested last Friday. Many questions still linger, and John and Melissa have some new answers starting at three o'clock on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Um, somebody texts this point, and they're absolutely right. I, I, you, Ed Flynn sat down, talked about that. We've been playing some of the clips. You can hear the resentment in his voice about how he doesn't even think he should be asked things like that. That tone of voice is a thing that he's adopted actually for the last several years. How dare you question me about my chase policy? How dare you ask me this? I'm candidly not going to miss that. You know, I mean, it's a legitimate question and um, I'm candidly not going to miss that. How dare you even question me with this? All right. Grew, who's producing the show today and always, are you a fan of law and order? Do you watch the show? Nah, I, I don't. I mean, it's it's one of these. And there's all these different variations of Law and Order, and it's been on forever. And I, I tend to not watch these these sort of they call them procedural shows. I tend to not watch them because it's sort of too much like what I used to d- did for a living, you know, a number of years ago. It's not, but and it, it's popular, and that, that's fine. Well, here's the deal: um, Law and Order SVU, and at least in the minds of some people, went way overboard on. On Wednesday, I mean, here's the way it's described on Fox News. NBC's Law and Order SVU infuriated conservatives on Wednesday when a fictional right-wing political pundit, a very, very attractive blonde, you know, kind of like the, you know, some of the blonde pundits, conservative pundits, when a fictional right-wing political pundit was brutally raped as a plot device that led to partisan dialogue among liberal characters. The episode featured a blonde faux pundit named Martha Cobb, who was sexually assaulted after um, Antifa protesters and white supremacists clashed and interrupted her political rally. The assault resulted in fictional members of the New York Police Department arguing about politics while investigating the case. At one point, Ice-T's character, who was investigating the case, asked a colleague, you know she wants all Jews and Muslims to convert to Christianity, right? Another character stated that while some of what the fictional pundit said is completely outrageous, other positions make a little bit of sense. Um, one of the characters fired back, yeah, like closing down Planned Parenthood or deporting the Dreamers. Um, let's see. I've received insults, death threats, and even my mother has been attacked online for SVU to depict rape and violence in such a manner the show risks normalizing it. That's um, what one conservative commentator is saying, uh, Britt McHenry, who happens to be outspoken and blonde, like the fictional SVU character. She said that this was the 
disturbing. The entire episode was peppered with political talking points and observations that portrayed conservatives in a negative light and painted the right-leaning pundit as a troll, a term invoked by the Ice-T character. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, I've seen clips from it. I didn't watch the entire thing, but after I saw the story. But isn't it interesting that, again, and it's not surprising, but this is this is the Hollywood left. You know, if you're going to do a show like this, you know, it, it's going to be this. It's like, oh, okay, you had the right-wing political pundit. She's been assaulted. Well, all right, maybe she deserved it. Did you hear these different things that she was saying? Let's mock her. Let's belittle her. It's this type of stuff and this type of bias, which I, I think is is one of the things that's turning a lot of people off to the Hollywood elites. I will say further. You would never see a reverse version of this. You would never see the, the liberal pundit who would be, for example, the female liberal pundit who would be sexually assaulted. You would never have the characters mocking that particular person's you know, views. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Katie in Burlington. Katie, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hi. I'm a fan of that show, SVU. I catch it when I can, and I happen to catch that episode. I'm not sure what time it aired, but I couldn't sit through it. It was really one of those things where I just sort of had to walk away from the TV because they do have these ripped-from-headlines type of topics, and they do take some creative liberties. But this one was just preachy and slanted and stereotypical. And I think the this woman they were claiming was lying, and eventually the charges got dropped, and she was sitting at a cafe with a cop and and. Mm-hmm. The, co- the guy who worked at the coffee shop happened to be, I believe, one of the guys she accused. It was just, and like what you quoted, that political banter was really what did it for me. It was just, aren't you elevated enough not to stereotype someone that may lean conservative or may lean liberal as as mm-hmm. these patent stereotypical type of phrases? I just well, and, and you can tell Katie also. I, I mean, I think. You know, whatever the I mean, I saw a picture of the actress who was was portraying this character. And and let's let's just be honest. I mean, this was a character who was made to look like several, whether it's Ann Coulter or, you know, this was a candidate. This was a character that was made to invoke that type of person, whether it was Ann Coulter or Britt McHenry or someone else. And you would never you would never do that. No, nobody in Hollywood would ever do it the other way around. But they thought nothing of doing it when it came to the conservatives. No, I think what, you're absolutely right. I think one of the most harmful things was whether no matter what her political leaning was, she was very stoic. She wasn't, um, you know, I guess what you would consider the stereotypical victim response. She was very stoic and, and matter-of-fact about the whole thing. And that somehow uh, conveyed that she was less than truthful. And that is yeah. horrible, above and beyond any political message you want to send, that someone who may not collapse and fall apart is somehow lying about being a victim. That, to me, was probably the worst part of the whole show. Now, th- thanks for call. Well, I mean, huge issue. And again, it, it, you know, bias in the mainstream media, bias in entertainment, fine. But this is one of these examples. And if you saw this show, I think a lot of people are just saying, really, this is this is what we're doing now? 
And you, you do – I just think at some point in time, and maybe we've already crossed that threshold, there's going to start to be a blowback. One of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons I think you see the ratings for all these award shows in the tank is that people are just – at least some people are just sick of all this. And I think you're going to start to see this with you know one show after another that bashes President Trump and all. I think you're starting to see this blowback where a lot of people are saying, okay, you know we're not with this. And you can appeal to this particular niche – Matter of fact, in Rasmussen reports today, his, his polling average is up to a 49% approval rate. I, I think at some point in time, maybe the bashing Trump stuff, or let's let's say it's okay to assault those lying conservatives, quote-unquote, maybe maybe there's going to be a blowback to that. I hope so. 228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Thirty-five, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, we do this this time every Friday. We put away the heavy lifting. We stop worrying about national politics and state politics and who did what to whom. And we have a little bit of fun. I call it Pop Culture Corner. We are live streaming on Facebook Live, so you can see the way we all look in here. You can see Gru in the background. I'm wearing my best Packers sweatshirt for the day. Um, if you go to facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ, you can see us. You can also participate the old fashioned way as well. Well, all right. Th- this is people keep asking me, what are you going to do this weekend? And see, here's, here's the deal. My, my new wife has left me. I think she's coming back. I'm sure she's coming back. But, you know, every year she goes on a girl's trip to, I, I say girls because she says girls. She goes on a trip with some of her literally grade school friends. They've been doing the same thing for years and years and they go to Florida and, I was telling her yesterday that it's one. De- it was one degree here with like twenty degree below with the wind chill, and she was saying, "Oh, I'm sitting out by the pool and it's seventy five degrees." And I'm like, "Well, have a nice time, sweetheart. That's wonderful." Um, but I, I'm on my own. I, I'm a bachelor again, and people are saying, "Well, what are you going to do?" And I said, "Well, I'm just going to kind of take it easy and just kind of hang out. Uh, no problem there." But I acknowledge I will be watching the Super Bowl. Now, let me just say this: I really. I really don't care who wins between New England and Philadelphia. Gru, do you have a pick? Who do you think is going to win? Who do you think, if you were betting, who would you bet? You would pick the Patriots, but you'd hate to see them win. Hmm. Um, I would pick the Patriots as well. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't have any love for Philadelphia either. So, I, I you know, whatever. That, but I, I will be watching the game. But I, I'm really going to be watching the game not so much because I really care about the outcome of the game other than, you know, it's the last football game of the year. But one of the reasons I love to watch the, the Super Bowl is for the, the ads. And if you do what I do for a living, you know, that's a big part of pop culture because you have these people that pay these advertisers that just pay what we would describe as stupid money to run, you know, commercials on the Super Bowl. And one of the things that I, I'm always struck by – when you watch these ads for the Super Bowl, even some of the ones that are memorable, at the end, you say, oh, that was kind of a clever ad, or that was great. But then you say, what was an ad for? And people don't know. Now, all I know is if I was spending a couple million dollars to run an ad for the Jeff Wagner Show, or if if WTMJ <laughs> was spending a couple million dollars. All right. All right. It's a ridiculous thing. They were spending a couple million dollars to you know run an ad for the Jeff Wagner show. I'd make damn sure you knew it was the Jeff Wagner show that you were at. I mean, it would be, come, listen to the Jeff Wagner show, noon to three, Monday through Friday. I, I would make sure we knew what it was. A lot of the great ads are really, really clever, but you go, God, it's almost like it's too clever by half because you, you don't know what this is. In any event, in honor of the Super Bowl being on Sunday, no, I don't want to talk about sports, but I'm always amazed at, again, what makes an effective ad. So here is my question to you. 
right? Just let your mind go blank for just a second. Here's my question. What's the most memorable commercial you've ever seen? I mean, is there one? And when I pop that out, is there a commercial that just pops to mind? And I'm not talking, it doesn't have to be a Super Bowl commercial. Maybe it was a commercial that aired in the Super Bowl. But just a memorable commercial. That one that you go, man, I remember that. And I, I you know, I, Jeff, and it, it may, might have been 25 years ago, but I remember that particular commercial. What's the most memorable commercial of all time for you? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And as I always say during these segments, my advice is go with your first instinct. Sometimes people try to like overthink these types of things. Um, also, we, our phone lines tend to jam up, and I want to get to as many calls as I possibly can, so I encourage people to call early. But if you're just thinking about it, is there a commercial of all the different commercials that you have seen or heard, I'm, I'm sure the ones I do for our various sponsors stick in your mind, but I'm talking about TV commercials. What's the most memorable commercial you've ever seen? Um, we're going to talk about it next. We're going to have some fun. This is Pop Culture Corner 239. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. Two forty-two. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, the Super Bowl is tomorrow. Lots of people are going to watch it to see the outcome of the game. I'm actually going to watch it in large part to watch all the different commercials. Um, but I thought this would be a little bit of fun. We're talking about for Pop Culture Corner this afternoon, the best commercial ever. You can also um, participate in many ways, including we are live streaming this Facebook Live. Go to facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ, and you can watch how we do business. 414-799-1620, the best commercial ever let's start with mitch in milwaukee mitch hello hi how you doing real well thank you okay what's the most memorable commercial for you uh, i think the coca-cola one where they saying it's the real thing <laughs> coca-cola yeah that right. was a good one right well i yeah. i used to love that jingle no i'm thank right exactly i love it too i mean thanks that's that was something that was memorable and you know what made that such a great commercial is because you knew it was for coca-cola you know, there wasn't any doubt about, you know, the the whole notion. It was an ad for Coke. You could tell. 414-799-1620. Uh, let's see. Terry on our Facebook page says, Oscar Mayer Wieners, right? That's another. There's a slogan that just really works out as well. Uh, Patrick says, one of the best commercials he ever saw was a political commercial, uh, the stand-up commercial that Ron Johnson ran years ago. I'm not sure which one that was. I, I loved his Blackboard commercial um, when he ran against Feingold the first time. I thought that was great. 414-799-1620, best commercial ever. Betty in Cudahy. Betty, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Um, mine was one, the Budweiser one. The couple was in a uh, sleigh, and the guy handed the girl a candle, and he bent down to get something, and the horse raised his tail and passed the gas. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> I, you know, I, I just... You know, I, the Budweiser, I don't think they're doing, I don't think they're using the horses this year. I think I read something like that. And I, I don't know why. I, I just love those. those I, I love those. Remember the Budweiser frog commercials too? Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, people love animal ads. No, thank, thanks for the call. People just love animal ads. And the, the Budweiser Clydesdale ads have always been a staple of the Super Bowl. Um, you know, where you had like the Clydesdales were separated from each other. There's so many good ones. 414-799-1620. Mark on the east side. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hello. 
Hey, yeah, it was from my childhood. Uh, it was Imperial Margarine. Whenever they would take a bite of whatever they were eating, a crown would show up on their head. That's, I am old enough to remember that as well. It, you know, you can't even find margarine too many places anymore. But no. right, it was like taste just taste like just like butter or whatever. Right, and they'd have that crown. I actually remember that as well. <laughs> No, right. That, right. They, no, it was. It was just kind of. It was kind of clever. Let me give you one of mine. Um, I loved the taste great, less filling ads. You know, with the with the baseball all stars with Bob Euchre and, and the bunch. I those would play well today. I still think whoever is doing the ads for light beer from Miller. I think you could resurrect those taste great, less filling things where you had the athletes that were arguing with each other. You could go back and you could do that, and you would have you would have just a, a hit on your hands. I love those, and you know, I remember last time I actually talked to Bob Euchre. I said, "Well, you know, how did how did you kind of get into you know the whole entertainment thing?" And he was saying, "Well, it was a you no, know, we got recruited to do the, these ads, and it kind of took off from there. That's where I must be in the front row." Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Mike in Elm Grove. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. I have two of them. Okay. One goes back a little ways, and one is more recent. And I'll give you the taglines and see if you can find about. That's a spicy meatball. Alka Seltzer. Okay. <laughs> kind of like I can't. Right, is, the guy like I can't believe I ate the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Sure. And the second one is, who are the chefs? Who are the chefs? Yeah. Hmm. Don't know. What's that one from? That's from Snickers, and the guy is in the middle of the field, putting the medallion. Oh, oh, we're the, right. Oh, they've right, 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 right. Yeah. Oh, got he's it. Preoccupied. He screws up and he misspells. Chiefs. Right, right, right. Yeah, I've seen. Uh, thanks for calling. I mean, they've got a couple like that. Is it Snickers or is it Milky Way? Whatever. It's, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. But yeah, where they've got like the the person that's doing the tattoo and they've misspelled something on the guy's arm, and it's all because you know they're eating the candy bar. Yep, yep, yep. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Okay, here's a current one. Somebody on our text line. I don't drink Bud Light, but I really like the new commercials. Dilly dilly. People, I will tell you, is people either love those commercials. Dilly dilly, dilly dilly, or they hate them. There's right, Gru. You you hate them. See, there, there's no in between. People either. Lo- I was in a bar the other night, and I heard a group of like millennials. Not to pick on you, millennials. Then they were doing the dilly dilly thing, and and you did. You just wanted to go. Oh, knock it off. You so you you either love those dilly dilly Bud Light ads or you hate them. There, there's no in between there. My producer, Gru, who is kind of the, the quintessential millennial, says, throw him out. 414-799-1620. Brian in Cleveland. Brian, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Okay, thanks a lot. Sure. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Super Bowl 2002, wasn't there a commercial where the Budweiser horses crossed the Brooklyn Bridge yep. right after 9-11? Yes. The, uh, horses followed. Yes. That yes. commercial was never seen again. Right. Yes. 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 That's one That's of. That's what I remember the most. Right. And it, isn't it interesting that that would be, you know, five or six months after September 11th, 2001, and you still remember that like it was yesterday, 15, oh, 16 years later? Yeah. 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 I remember. Right. It was that special one that they created for that. No. Thanks for the call. Um, right. Scott in Racine. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Hey. How you doing? Real well. Thank um, you. Most memorable commercial. Yeah, it's an old one that your listeners won't remember, but there was an anti-pollution campaign with a Native American on the side of the road, and there were tears coming down his eyes, and then I think it panned away to all the pollution that he was looking at. And- I, I, wasn't that Iron Eyes Cody? Wasn't that who played the the who played the, the character so, in yeah, that? He was an Italian guy, but he played with the Native American. Huh. Uh, 
I'm not sure, but I no, I know right. There's like the tear comes to his mind. You think it was was that pollution or was it littering? But I know exactly what yeah, you're talking about. Yeah, littering campaign. All right, right. Yeah, no, it's right. Thanks. I mean, I no, I remember exactly what you're you're talking about. Let's talk to Doug in McGuanago. Doug, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. All right. Most Mean-Joe memorable Green. commercial. Oh. Mean Joe Green. Where where he gives the where he gives the kid the his his coke. jersey and the kid gets the coke. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Actually, does he? Yeah, which is it? No, yeah, the kid gives Mean Joe the coke. Right, and then he takes off his jersey and gives it to him. I think is how it works. Yeah. But you know, hey, right after after a football game. But no, but right that it was just it was just a classic one. No, thanks for the call. Um, a couple people in our text line are um, whenever you talk about great commercials, the the one one of the ones that always comes up is uh, Clara Peller, who was the little old lady who did the Wendy's. Where's the brief? And 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 actually, the interesting thing is she only did it for. A few months, and then you know, Wendy's ended up dropping her because she was doing commercials for some rival or something like that. But but yeah, you had the where's the where's the beef? Now notice, maybe if we had done this topic five years ago, we'd have oh, how about the Jared Subway stuff? Nobody talks about Jared anymore. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Maggie in St. Francis. Maggie, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah. Hi. Hi. I actually had. I actually was going to say the one hump day that Progressive has. But when you mentioned Bob Euchre, I thought of a better one. When he did commercials for Wisconsin Tourism, and he's in a big high-end party, he's walking around, and they tell him, you know, what, what are the good things to do in Wisconsin? He's asking them, and the one person says, oh, go jump off a, go jump off a, off a cliff or something, or go jump in the water. Right. And they're, they're being sarcastic to him, and he goes, there's another thing you can do in Wisconsin. Yeah, I just thought it was so, so oh. funny of him. He was so clueless to what was going on in that commercial. Euchre, euchre, you can't go wrong with Bob. Oh, <laughs> you just, great. you just, great. you just absolutely can't. Thanks for the call. Um, let's talk to Mike in Sussex. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, the one where they're marching around in the uniforms, and then you see the bullet shooting the lock. Oh, the the master the master lock ads, right? Yeah. That's yeah. I had the best. Yeah. No, it's uh, right. It, I mean, thanks for calling. No, I. I yeah, I, I just remember that you know, kind of showing uh, again, you know how how tough how tough Master Lock is. Let's talk to Dave in West Bend. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Deb. Uh, I was going to say uh, again the uh, Clydesdales for nine one one, but uh, on the other hand, uh, how the timing is just right for the uh, Dilly Dilly by <laughs> Dilly Dilly. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. I mean. Right, right. I mean, think, again, it, it's you. Those are ads, though, that you either love or that you hate. There's no in between. Let's talk to. Uh, let's see, um, Jeff in Kenosha. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hello. I think somebody already stole my thumb with Bob Euchre, but uh-huh. I'll go with the progressive commercial with that sloth doing the. <laughs> that- you know that's 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 one i gotta tell you that's one another one that people either love or hate i hate that one but i understand no but but i but i get it i understand why you love it you either i'm just like get to the point but i i get it no i mean i i understand perfectly thanks again it's it's one that you either like or that you you don't like there's no no in between. All right, let's talk to Joe in Stevens Point. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi. Mine's a very old one. Um, I wasn't even old enough to drink beer at the time, but um, it's stuck in my head. From the land of sky blue waters. Hams. You know 
Yeah, <laughs> with right with the, with the drum beat and stuff. Remember, they, yeah. they had the cartoon bear too. Remember, they did, and then they did many different ones. The bear might be in a canoe, or they had all kinds of different ones. But that was a, a logo, or not logo, but a, a, right. the words that just stuck in your right. mind forever. from the land. Right, I, no, right, right, right. The rule is, I'm not supposed to sing, but yes, from the land of sky blue waters. No, uh, thanks for calling. No, I, you know, that's. I mean, part of it was, I used to love a lot of the old beer commercials. I, I thought they were arguably more creative than some of the stuff that you you see now but again maybe that's just kind of looking back at stuff with a rose-colored glasses let's talk to uh let's see ed who's calling us from illinois ed hello hello hi ed best commercial ever best commercial ever there'd be a couple of them the coke ads with the polar bears oh oh yeah those were very good. Yep. Yep. I think there was more than one. Right. Yeah, they they did a whole series of those. No, thanks for call. Isn't isn't it interesting? I mean, how many of the different ads we have uh, people are coming back to, to Coke. You rem- again, when you're watching the Super Bowl ads this weekend, you know, watch okay. Oh, that's so creative. But but then at the end of the day you say, "All right, what was that? What was that an ad for, really?" All right, let's talk to um Pat in Milwaukee. Pat, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Pat. Hello. Hi, Pat. Oh, hi. Um, there are actually two that I really thought were cute. One is the Budweiser commercial with the little puppy dog getting lost in the city, and the Clydesdales come to his rescue and right. bring him back to the ranch. Can't go wrong and, with Clydesdales, yep. Right. And the other one is the young boy dressed in the Darth Vader outfit, and he's standing in front of his father's car, and he's waving his little laser, assuming that he's starting the car. And his dad's in the house starting it with a starter. That was, I think they aired that on the Super Bowl a couple years ago, and it was great. Okay, but let me ask you the tough question, Pat, okay? Uh-huh. What, what car was that? What kind of, what car was that an ad for? I don't know, but it was white. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. No, they, no, I, I, I love it too. Thanks for, I mean, I, that was, that was one of the great ones. Like the kid is dressed and he's pretending to use the force, and the dad's in there with the remote. It, it, it's a great ad. It is a memorable ad, but, you know, what What was the car? You know, that's the interesting thing that's there. Um, okay, I'm sorry. We're kind of up against the clock here. M&M commercials with the talking M&Ms, Cheetos commercials, Smokey the Bear, Life Alert, I've fallen and I can't get up, all sorts of great things. Maybe there'll be a super memorable one um, this weekend as well. But it doesn't have to be a Super Bowl commercial. Again, the big question is when I watch them and I'm thinking of all this money, um, what is it promoting? All right, speaking about promoting, Melissa Barkley. Greg Matzik, John McCura, they are Wisconsin's Afternoon News, and they'll be in in just a moment. Please stick around. It's 2.55. This is Jeff Wagner.